Go ahead and take your Bibles with me and turn to John 13. John chapter 13. How great is our God. There's so much I want to say about this passage that we're about to dig into. And I'm tempted to go off notes, but every time I go off notes, I chase rabbits. So we're going to stick with my notes this morning. But John 13, if you're there, say word. Fantastic. Let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read through to verse 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had up to this point in worship. And Lord, we pray that as we continue in worship, that you would add a blessing upon your word. Open up our hearts and our eyes to the truth you have for us this morning. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is The Heart of a Disciple. Leslie, did you make that? That's awesome. I like that. The Heart of a Disciple. Did you know that 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work? This happens in workplaces. This happens in schools. This happens in families. It's happening in churches. Sometimes we can get into the comparison game, too. Uh, uh, me and Pastor Leto were talking a couple weeks back about a larger church, and they had, it seemed like a lot of people to serve or who were serving. Um, but I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine earlier this week, and he is, he's a part of a larger church, larger than our church. They're probably about triple our size. And I told him about my sermon that I'm preaching on, and 
He said, after I explained, you know, how in churches the biggest problem you have is 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. You get small group of people that are getting burnt out because they're all doing the amount of work. And then I asked him, I was like, how do you get so many people in your church to serve? Because I've seen your church on Facebook. I've seen your church, the pictures and the videos. I've seen how much you serve. I've seen what y'all do. You seem like you can get so many people in your church to serve. What's your secret? This is what he said. We have the same problem every other church has. 20% of our people are doing 80% of the work. And this is happening all across the globe. It's just they have more people to pull from. It looks like they have more, more people serving, but in comparison to the ratio of the amount of people, it's about the same amount. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. I believe the problem is that we have a hard time understanding why we should serve. There are so many areas, even in our church, that are available for people to serve. But a lot of times you see the same people doing different jobs. So I'm glad how we have landed on this passage this morning. First, I'm glad because we have a group leaving this week to serve in Myrtle Beach who have given up uh, vacations and, and, and even job schedules, who have given up time away from family and are going to go serve. We have youth and adults. I'm also glad it landed on this passage because of what we witnessed yesterday. I wasn't able to be a part of KCOM. Uh, I had to watch my kids because my wife had to uh, work, but I saw the pictures and I saw people from our church serving within the community. I'm also glad because our nominating committee is already asking some of y'all to serve in certain areas within our church. Do you know how I know that you love this church? It's by how you serve in it. We serve with our time. A lot of us put in hours within this church, some more than, than, some more than others. We put, we put hours into ministry. And we serve with our money. We serve with, with the gifts that God has given us, with the blessings that God has given us. We serve with our homes. We serve with our wallets. We serve out of love for God and what He has done for us. And so this morning, John shows us in this passage, John shows us why disciples serve by showing us the example that Christ sets for us. So the main point that I want to get across to you is at the top of your sermon insert where it says main point. The main point I want you to re remember from this message is this. The heart of a disciple is one of service. The heart of a disciple is one of service. And John shows us three reasons why disciples serve, and it's by looking at Jesus as our example. So let's look at the first reason why disciples serve. Number one, it's a display of love. Now last Sunday, we took an entire Sunday morning service, and we talked about one verse, and it was John 13, 1. And we talked about the love that Christ has for His own 
Christ has a love for the world. We see it in John. We see John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We see this love that God has for the world. But there's a specific love, a more intimate, a more perfect love that he has for his church. I shared the example of how I love each and every single one of y'all. But I love my wife in a different way, a more specific way, a more particular way. Christ shows us that same kind of love. He says in verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to perfection. He loved them by dying for them. What we see is that the greatest display of Christ's love is shown on the cross. These men whom Christ loves, these men who are going to scatter when Christ gets arrested, Peter's going to to deny him three times, but Christ goes to the cross for them. Even, Even in the midst of when everybody has abandoned Jesus, he still dies for those who ran from him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of love? Be encouraged, church, that Christ knew every sin you would ever commit. Every single sin. The darkest secrets you have, the darkest sins people don't know about, the darkest thoughts you have, Christ knows every one of them. And he still died for the church. Can you you see that? So my question is, are you living for Him? Because as as believers, those who have been served, saved people serve people, right? You've probably heard that cliche. Saved people serve people. Because of what Christ has done for us, we should be willing to do for others. So he has shown his love for us by dying for us. How are we showing our love for him? Well, there's a couple ways we can do that. One, we can show our love for him by our love for each other. Our love for each each other. Just as Christ loved his own and died for them, we must love each other. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I want us to get real and honest and transparent within this message. I really want us to examine ourselves. How difficult is it to love each other? It can be pretty difficult. It can be pretty difficult. We display the love of Christ by a love for each other. We display a heart of service by serving one another out of love. And do you see the love that Christ has? It's a love even for people who are going to act like they don't even like him or know him. That's a Christ-like love. Serving people who are difficult to love is a Christ-like love. And let me tell you, if we are only to love those who love us back. 
Christ never would have loved us. Because God's word says that we love because God first loved us. God's word also says that we are enemies of God. Sinners, wretched, disobedient, wicked, rebellious. Yet Christ still loves us and dies for us. And we are called to love and serve others even if they don't like us. Newsflash. When Christ died for us, we didn't like him. Before we came to know Christ, we didn't like Christ. Because when you prefer your sin over Christ, you're not liking Christ. But he still died for us. Spurgeon once wrote a letter to someone having problems. I, I'm assuming it's a, uh, another pastor who's having problems with a deacon in their church. And, and, and I don't have any problems with, with our deacons. Our, me and our deacons are good. This is not trying to say anything to our deacons. All right, deacons, you got that? Okay. Spurgeon wrote this letter to another pastor, I'm assuming, about a problem with a deacon in their church. They just weren't getting along. And this is what Spurgeon wrote to this guy. He says this. He says, bear, 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 forbear, forbear, forbear. In yielding is victory. Fight the devil. Love the deacon. Love him till he is lovable. Which brings me to our next display of love. Not only are we to have a love for each other, we're also to have a love for our enemies. A love for our enemies. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now listen, I remember when I was little, I mean, I was never little. I was born five feet tall, weighing 200 pounds. But I remember when I was little, I'm not sure what I had done in this instance. If you ask my parents, they probably can't even tell you either because that's just how much bad I did when I was a kid. But I remember in this certain instance, whatever I had done, my parents asked me this question. Why'd you do that? Now, parents, you ask your kids this question sometimes too, right? Why did you do that? I mean, really, we, we raised you better than that. Why did you do that? My, the only response that I could come up with was the devil made me do it. Now, let me tell you, the devil does not make you do anything. He may tempt you, but you are still the one choosing to act out of your own desire. But Judas here, out of verse 2, even though it states that the devil put it into his heart... The desire to betray Jesus was already there. The devil was really just adding fuel to the fire. Judas and the devil are in one accord on what to do with Jesus. But what did Christ do? As we just read through it, we see that Christ still serves him by washing his feet. 
Now, we know that Judas is not a child of God because we see later in this passage that he isn't clean like the others are. In other words, he's not justified. He's not saved. He's an enemy. But Christ still serves him. Why? Because we are still called to love and serve even our enemies. We live in a world today where we have so many divisions, do we not? Politics and religion are the two main divisions we have in America. And they're becoming more apparent than ever. But my question to you is, do you love those who believe differently than you? You may say you do, but actions speak louder than words. Would you serve those who believe differently than you? Like I said, I want us to get... I want us to become transparent here. I want us to examine ourselves. Would you serve them in a way that doesn't contradict your beliefs? Would you, would you serve them in a way that expresses the love of Christ to them? Would you serve them even knowing after serving them they still wouldn't like you? If people saw you, watched how you loved, watched how you served, watched how you acted and reacted, if people saw you do that, would they say that they could see Jesus? Because let me tell you, how do you know if you are saved if you don't love other people? How do you know you've been transformed by the blood of Jesus if you don't love other people, no matter their skin color? No matter their circumstances, no matter their sexuality, no matter their political beliefs. We're called to love and serve those who believe and sin differently than we do. And are you doing that? Because when we share the gospel, we don't pick and choose who should receive it. We don't look at one neighbor on the right and another neighbor on the left, and because of skin color, we serve one instead of the other. Because I'm going to go ahead and be blunt. If you have a problem with skin color, you're going to have a problem with Jesus. Because he wasn't white. If you think white people are the only people going to heaven, you're going to hate heaven. We're to have a love for each other, a love for our enemies, and we're to have a love for Christ. Christ accomplished on the cross something so spectacular, something so amazing that we don't deserve it. And if you think you deserve it, you don't know Jesus. In the greatest display of love, Christ took our sin and shame on the cross. He paid the penalty that was due for us. He purchased us and redeemed us. He was tortured and humiliated for us. Why? Because He loved us. And we must display that same love for Him by loving others. And in order to, to do this, number two, it must be because of an act of humility. When we serve others, when disciples serve others, when followers of Christ serve others, it's because of an act of humility. What do I mean by that? Before we look at verse six, I want to show you something beautiful in verse four. 
Now, Christ expressed great humility by removing his outer garments and bearing a towel. He took on the dress of a servant in order to serve the disciples in the upper room here. But check this out. And I don't know um, if this is how John was meaning it. I didn't see it much in a lot of my commentaries. But I want you to look a little deeper at verse 4. In order for Christ to bear our sin and shame, he humbled himself. According to Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself to the point of death. How so? Well, just as he removed his clothes here, remember John 1, Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't remove his divinity. He didn't remove his deity, but he did lay aside his dignity. Do you see the picture there? Truly God, truly man, He's showing us what he has done to accomplish salvation. He's laid aside his dignity just as he's laid aside his clothes here so that he may take on flesh to bear the cross just like he bore the towel. Do you see the beauty of Scripture and what it shows us? The exact thing that Christ does here is he's showing us what's about to happen. This example that we'll see in verses 6 through 11 of the foot washing is a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do on the cross. He will take up the cross and just as he is pouring the water into the basin to wash the disciples' feet, he will pour out his blood so that we may be washed clean. Do you see it? Scripture is not boring. It's because of Christ's humility that we are able to be saved. It's an act of humility to even receive the washing of Christ. Because we, as an act of humility, we need to recognize our need for Jesus. Paul, uh, uh, Peter, in verse 6, he says, uh, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answers him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. We need to understand this is a this is symbolizing the rebellion that we have against Christ. No, you're not going to do this. We have to humble ourselves to receive the washing of Christ because we have to recognize our need for him. We need to recognize that you are sinful. And wicked. And you need Christ. And what happens? The disciples are shocked here. Jesus has has laid aside his garments. He he has put on a towel. He is in the mode of a slave here. Foot washing was reserved for the lowliest of servants. And you have to understand, they didn't have paved roads back then. They didn't have Uber and Lyft. They had to walk. And the roads were filthy with trash and feces. Can you imagine it? It was hospitable for homes to offer foot washing when guests came by. But it was reserved for the lowliest of servants to place their hands on filthy feet. People didn't usually wash each other's feet unless it was done as a sign of great love. And Christ is doing it here as a sign of great love, but also of great service. He 
He tells them, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If I do not wash you clean of your sin and shame, you have no share with me. If you do not surrender your life to me, you have no life with me. And what Christ was doing here is an act of humility, and it takes humility to receive it. And then once Peter realizes this in verse 9, Peter gets a little exuberant about it. He says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Christ says, you're already clean. You're already washed. You don't need that cleansing again. You just need your feet washed. In other words, believers, if you've already had that initial washing, if you've already been baptized by Christ, if you've already received Jesus, you don't have to receive Him again. But we do need that daily foot washing. That daily of coming to God and, and recognizing our sin and our need for forgiveness and repentance and, 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 and asking for forgiveness. John is showing us that Jesus is using the foot washing to use a primary cleansing and a daily cleansing. Those who have already received it don't need it again, but they need that daily confession and repentance of sin. But what does Jesus tell Peter? You're clean, but not all of you are clean. Talking about Judas, who's about to betray him. Guys, we're hours from the crucifixion here. And Jesus expresses humility by going to the cross and dying for us so that we may be washed clean. Now, there are two things that I want to show you about serving from this part of, of, the, of the passage. First, no one is above serving. No one is above serving. Jesus shows us a great example of that. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sovereign creator of the universe. He's God incarnate. And what is he doing? He's on his hands and knees washing the filth of his disciples' feet. No one is above serving. We are all called to serve. There should be no point of serving where we say, I'm too good for that. If service is, 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 is an act of humility, then we must be willing to serve even in the lowliest of places. For example, here in the church, do you know the hardest place it is to get people to serve? You want to know? Children's ministry. Children's ministry is the hardest place to get people to serve. Want to be like Jesus? Change some diapers. You want to be like Jesus? How about teach the children about Jesus? You want to be like Jesus? Rock a baby to sleep during service so that their parents can be in here worshiping. Because it's their parents that are going back there and serving too. We have a handful of people doing this, and they are rarely in the service now. We need help there. And pride says, I've done my part. Pride says, I don't have time for that. Pride says, I don't want to miss a service. If Christ humbled himself to die for your sins, don't you think you could humble yourself to serve? Men, what about in the home? 
I'm preaching myself here. But how often do we sit, sit back expecting our wives to do it all? No one is above serving. If you see dishes that need to be done or clothes that need to be folded or a diaper needing to be changed, then do it. Don't ask, just do it. The nature of discipleship is service. Men, how do we show the love of Christ in our homes? By how we love our wives. By how we love our kids. I went and visited our shut-ins the other day, and I was blown away by a guy that I met for the first time. I'm not going to name names because I think you know him. But he told me that he works Monday through Thursday. And on the weekends, he goes and mows people's yards for free who can't mow it themselves. I rarely want to mow my own yard, let alone someone else's, but he does it. Why do we serve, church? Why do we serve? Because we've been served. We serve because of what Christ has done for us. Yesterday, we had a group go to KCOM, and in the heat, it was hot, right, guys? I saw y'all sweating. In the heat, they stood outside, gave free food, free clothes, free material, free uh, cleaning supplies, free uh, toiletries, school supplies probably. Why? Because they want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a group going to Myrtle Beach this week. I'm going on that trip with them. Pastor Leto's going. A couple more adults and a couple kids. Why are we going? Because we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Missions and serving are not just for the youth group, church. Missions and serving are not experiences to be had, but lifestyles to take hold of. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And let me tell you, hear me. There is no retirement age for serving. We don't retire from serving. And I've heard it years past at former churches that I've served in from members who say, I've done my part. I've served for years in this church. I'm just going to sit back and let other people serve. We don't stop serving Christ until we've stopped breathing. No one is above serving. No one. And secondly, no one is below being served. We see Peter. He puts his foot in his mouth often and he's going to deny Christ three times. He's going to mess up. But Christ shows us that even Peter isn't below being served. He also shows us even more so that Judas... Judas, who is betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver, is not below being served. Someone who's lost, someone who hates Jesus, no one's below being served. Why? Because we didn't deserve Christ serving us. If you think skin color makes a difference about whether or not to serve people, then you don't know Christ. If you think sin makes a difference, then you don't know Christ. If you think circumstances make a difference, then you don't know Christ. 
Serving is not approving of people's sin. It's loving them despite their sin. I'm going to say that again. Serving is not approving of people's sin. It is loving them despite their sin. And this is the example that Christ shows us. Number three, an example to follow. An example to follow. Before we can see Christ as our example, we must see him as our substitute. We don't just serve Christ. We don't just serve because Christ served. We serve because Christ died for us and has saved us and transformed us. And we need to remember that. We see Christ's example as first an act of obedience. Christ tells us in verses 14 and 15, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You also should do just as I have done to you. Serving is an act of obedience. It's a heart of a disciple. Verse 16 shows us. Look at it. Verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, if you like circling in your Bible, circle servant. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger, you can circle that too, greater than the one who sent him. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Church, if our master, Lord and Savior, is on his hands and knees, washing the filth off of people's feet, don't you think we, his servants, his slaves, those who are joyfully bound in him, don't you think we should be doing the same? And don't you think we should never see that that is above us because that is what Christ has done for us? We are to serve in action and we are to be messengers because as we serve, we are being vocal about the gospel. We see this in the church. We serve in different capacities with the gifts that God has given us and with the needs that we have. But also we go because we are sent to serve by sharing the gospel. We are servants and we are messengers. And secondly, it's a model of joy. This is what I love about this. We find joy in serving out of knowing that Christ has served us. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I serve my wife because I find joy in serving my wife. I serve my wife out of love, not out of obedience. John Piper uses an illustration by saying uh, on, on their anniversary, let's say you bring your wife a bouquet of flowers. And you say, honey, these are for you. And then she asks, why'd you do it? Because it is my duty to serve you flowers on our anniversary. It's my job to do that. No, that's not why we serve. We don't serve out of duty or obligation. We serve out of love and out of joy. I bring flowers to my wife on our anniversary because I love my wife. And she deserved flowers who are probably going to die in the next five days anyway. So, in closing, how do you get burnt out when serving? You get burnt out when you forget why you're doing it in the first place. 
We don't serve to fill a spot. We don't serve because we feel obligated to. We serve out of a joy for the one who has served us and given his life for us on the cross. We don't get burnt out serving our spouses, do we? We don't get burnt out serving our children, do we? So church, let me ask you, we have people in here who want to see something happen for the glory of God here at Red Cross. And I am so thankful for that. Our attendance has grown in the past three years. We have seen a lot of new faces. We have several new visitors here this morning. A lot has happened here at Red Cross, and it's been for the glory of God. But we don't want to stop. We want to see life change here at Red Cross. We want to be a beacon of hope for the gospel to our community. And if you want to see something happen, it won't happen if we don't have people serving. We need people in the right places for the right purposes, serving for the glory and joy of God. You may feel led to be somewhere, but you don't know where to go. Come and let us know. We shouldn't be the type of people who sit back and wait to be approached. Imagine, imagine if Christ waited to be approached before he served. No, he jumped in ready to go. We need people who are eager to serve, who are willing to be placed somewhere. Come and talk to myself or Pastor Leto or talk to Debbie uh, Layton, Tommy Smith, Tammy McElwain and Gary McElwain. We're all on the nominating committee. We're fine. We're trying to find people to serve. And it's time we start serving for the glory of God to build the kingdom of God. So that's to the church, to the unbelievers, to anybody in here who's never given their life to Christ. Have you surrendered to the washing of Jesus? He came and served the church by dying for her. And if anyone would believe in him, would repent of their sin, would surrender their lives to him, they will be saved. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Because before you can serve... Before you can follow Christ as an example, you need to see Him as your substitute. The altar will be open here in a minute. Let me encourage the believers and the church members. During this time of invitation, let's plead with God to place a burning desire in people's hearts to serve out of joy and not obligation. Let's plead with God to cause a revival of people to serve for the sake of the gospel here at Red Cross Baptist Church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son not to be served, but to serve, to be a ransom, to pay our payment. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. So God, we pray this morning that if there's anybody in here who has never given their life to you, I pray that you're grabbing their heart that you are helping them see the truth of your word, that you are transforming them. God, I pray that you would do that this morning. And God, we pray that you would do something here at Red Cross, that you would light a fire within us. How amazing would it be to tell people, we don't need you in that position because it's full? How amazing would it be to find issues and problems and trying to find where people can serve? But right now, we are having a hard time finding people to serve. And so, God, I pray you would grab their hearts, help them to see that we serve because we've been served. We love because we've been loved. Help us to show the same kind of love that you've shown us to each other, 
to our families, to our community, to our enemies, and to you. We thank you. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.